Welcome to the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast, the podcast where each week we take a passage of the Bible, we read it together, and we get the three different perspectives of the three different people. As always, I have with me Lachlan Miller, our expert. Hello. Morgan Carter, our newbie. Hi. And I'm Joshua Lee, the PK pastor's kid. How are we all doing? Well, well, I'm coming off an exciting weekend where mm. we baptised one of our youth, and then next weekend we're going to baptise three more of our youth. Wow. And so it's just quite an exciting season where we get to see these young people stand before their church family and say, hey, I love Jesus. I want to serve him for the rest of my life. And so as a youth pastor, it's literally the best feeling ever. Nice. So going very well. Do you, you, do you get to baptize them or will that be someone else? At our church, as long as you've been baptized, you can baptize people. Oh. And so most of the time our youth choose their direct kind of pod leaders to baptize yeah. them, which is a really special moment yeah. for them because they've had these leaders for many, many years mm. and they've been journeying alongside them closely. Oh, that's good. And then they get to have that leader baptize them, which yeah. is exciting. Oh, that's special. Morgan, how are you? I'm good. Just in the peak of the uni term, so busy trying to balance work and uni, but getting there, I'm just freezing in Melbourne again. But <laughs> other than that, good, mm-hmm. good, good. How about you, Josh? Good. I'm good. I've just come off a camp over the weekend and that was that was really nice uh, with the youth organisation I'm with and all the kids seem to really enjoy themselves, which is really nice. And I mean, that's the main reason why you're, why you're there is that making sure they have a good time and when they have the smiles on their face that, you know, means that you've done a good job and, you you know, you keep coming back to do this. So, yeah, no, I'm doing really well. So I'm going to plug it at the beginning. We have a Patreon, but we also have social media. So if you're interested in our Patreon or you're not up to date with any of our social media, head over to our link tree and you can get all the information there. So we've got our social medias, but if you also want to support us on Patreon, you can head over to Patreon. Lockie, what chapters are we doing today? We're going to be reading chapters 43 through to 47 of Genesis. Today's passage comes from the book of Genesis, chapters 43 to 47. The ongoing famine forces Joseph's brothers to return to Egypt, where Joseph continues to deceive them and threatens to imprison Benjamin. Judah pleads passionately for Benjamin, offering to take his place and showing his dramatic character change. Moved by Judah's speech, Joseph reveals who he is and tells his brothers he no longer harbours any ill will towards them. Upon hearing that Joseph is alive, his father Jacob relocates his entire family to Egypt, where Pharaoh grants them land and provisions. As we kick off, I just want to point out that that is the most we've ever gotten our listeners to read in one go. So firstly... Please read the section of scripture that we're talking about. It makes the episodes make so much more sense. Secondly, don't be discouraged if that took you a while because that was a huge section. But today we're going to try and discuss all of it and understand what is happening in Mm. our second last episode about Genesis. But who remembers what happened last week? I remember bits and pieces of it. (laughs) Um, My first time hearing the story of Joseph. Um, There were some dreams that went on and were interpreted. We saw some people in prison. And then we finished our last episode with Joseph's brothers coming to find him, but not recognizing him. Yeah. So so Joseph is sort of st- stuck, as you said, stuck in Egypt and he becomes st- as a slave quite high up in one household, but then thrown in jail after an incident with that person's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you were saying, Morgan, the head baker and the head 
cup bearer, uh, also thrown into jail. But they have these peculiar dreams, and Joseph's able to interpret them, but interpret them through God. That's mm-hmm. a that's a very important one to remember. And they get let let go, and um, unfortunately forget about Joseph until. Um, they uh, eventually, eventually, the cupbearer like remembers, and the dreams get interpreted. Um, like Pharaoh's dreams get interpreted, and then Pharaoh makes Joseph um, almost the what second in charge of the mm-hmm. land, and the famine hits, and um, as you said, Morgan, the the brothers come and don't recognize him, and Joseph deceives them by putting the gold back, but also saying that you can't face me ever again until unless you bring your brother, your youngest brother, with you. And that's where it sort of ends up. Yeah, yeah. We ended with Joseph's brothers have returned to their father with enough food to last a little while, mm. and they can't go back to Egypt for any more grain unless they bring Benjamin with them. We also have to remember that poor Simeon is in prison in Egypt as oh, well. Oh, yes. I forgot about that. And um, Jacob, the father of the 12 brothers, is very old and can't bear the thought of losing Benjamin. Because mm, Benjamin is now the new favourite. Yes. So 43 starts with Judah talking. Mm-hmm. And we'll see a lot of Judah talking and throughout what we've read, but starting to see sort of Judah's almost redemption arc or, or him transitioning into this better person, if, if you will. He's definitely far more trusted than he once was. Like at the end of chapter 42, Reuben, who's the eldest, goes mm. to Jacob and says, let me take Benjamin to Egypt. We're going to need more grain. Let's do it. Mm. And Jacob is hard. No, there's absolutely no way Benjamin's going with you. But here we see Judah going to Jacob and giving almost the exact same spiel. But mm. this time Jacob is prepared to let Benjamin go with Judah up to Egypt. Yeah, and I like what, you know, poor poor Jacob, he's saying, like, why would you be so cruel to me? He, you know, he says, Jacob moaned, like, why, why, why on earth did you tell them that you had a younger mm. brother that wasn't there? Like, why did you tell them any other information about our family? They didn't need to know that, but, like, you've almost, like, by giving that information, you've, like, doomed us here. But as Judah points out, they simply answered the questions of the guy in charge. Mm. They just still don't know that the guy in charge knows an awful lot about their family. Yes. And was probably asking very specific questions Mm. to figure out how his family was. Which, you know, you almost, um, it's like, it's like almost in, in like a, it's like a sad way, like Joseph's like getting this information. Like he doesn't want to reveal who he is, but he's like trying to hear. And you can imagine the emotions of like hearing about your family um, and and what's happened, but through this sort of weird and odd way of going about it, rather than just sort of coming out and saying and trying to get that get information. And like you know, there's a lot like seeing the brothers for the first time. There's a lot of emotions going through, and probably resentment of some sort. Mm-hmm. And we see that very much in our chapter of forty three, because when the brothers do go up into Egypt, mm. the very first question Joseph asks is, "Is your father still alive?" Yeah. And so he very much cares about what is going on there. Mm. But before we get to that, bit. yes, before we before we get there, Jacob sort of, as you said, goes, okay, well, this has to happen after Judah has sort of explained the situation. Going, well, we're gonna we're gonna run out of food at some point. We're gonna have to go back. This is mm. gonna have like this for our own survival. We're gonna have to do this, mm. and the port of sort of stuck in this situ- sticky situation where they're gonna have to go back to Joseph, even knowing that if you know with the risk of taking Benjamin, what might happen. But Judah does convince them and Jacob 
gives a plan of, you know, what to sort of do to try and maybe ease this person in charge so that nothing ill comes of them and J- and Benjamin, there's so many names, <laughs> Benjamin comes back safely. Mm. And what I find really insightful is Jacob goes, okay, may you all go off and let's hope that your other brother and Benjamin comes back. Now, what he means by the other brother is Simeon, who's still in an Egyptian jail cell somewhere. Mm. But what actually is going to end up happening is that the other brother, being Joseph, will also return. Yeah. So it's like this little hint within the text, because you would assume that Jacob would have said, ah, let's hope that Simeon and Benjamin can come back. But it's left intentionally vague, almost as some type of foreshadowing. Mm. The other brother. And so all the brothers travel up to Egypt again, this time with double the amount of silver to replace the silver that had been returned to them. And then also with a selection of the local cuisines, including (laughs) honey and almonds and a bunch of other good things. So they head off with Benjamin. And they're all packed. They've brought all their money. They've got all their their exotic cuisines. And when they get to Egypt, Joseph sees that Benjamin's there and goes and instructs the manager to take them into the household and prepare a feast for them Mm. so that they can all eat, which is really nice. But the brothers don't know that any of this is happening and so that when they see that they're getting led to the house they're terrified Mm -hmm. they think oh no something's about to happen something terrible is happening and i would too i would think like this trip needs to go perfect nothing needs to go awry or like anything like that for the sake of everyone here Mm. yeah and i kind of find it funny that they are terrified because we sort of have this knowledge about what's happening Mm. but they don't so it's like i have this like this feeling of like well the brothers treated Joseph so poorly, so haha, like, you know, they're they're being terrified as like they're just, you know, um reaping their own reward here. They're like, you know, like Joseph's getting back at them. Yeah, and they express all of these concerns to the steward of the house. And he really tries his best to help them relax. He's like, No, no, God, like the God of your father is the reason that the silver was returned to your sacks last time you were mm. here. It's okay. You're going to come in. You're going to have a meal with this ruler. And here is Simeon. I've even brought him out of prison to rejoin you all. Now go in and eat. Yeah. And it's interesting how it's the God of your father. Mm. Like an Egyptian person saying that, they yeah. could have easily just used their own gods um, or like, or just given credit to Pharaoh or like someone else. But they specifically call out Yahweh. Yeah. And so clearly this steward has spent enough time around Joseph and Mm. Joseph has clearly talked enough about or demonstrated his own faith in the God of Jacob. I want to know what a donkey, what the fodder is. (laughs) Fodder is just animal food. Oh, Like it's literally just food that isn't fit for human consumption, but is for animals. Why does Joseph weep at the sight of Benjamin? Is it because he hasn't met him before or is there a reason specifically? So Benjamin is Joseph's full brother. They have the same mother and the same father. And Benjamin is Joseph's only full brother. And so while the rest of his brothers are his, his half-brothers and he probably has very negative thoughts towards them because they all sold him into slavery, Benjamin is his true brother who's never done a bad thing, to our knowledge, against him. And his younger brother, his little brother. So it's finally seeing a full flesh and blood relative for the first time. I like how he refers to him as his mother's son. Mm. And so I think out of pure joy and overcome with the thought of like, here is my family, he actually starts to weep uncontrollably and quickly exits the room. Mm. I mean, if he, you know, if the brothers at this point in the story see that, then the whole gig's up. 
mm. you know, something's well, at the very least, something's up. Yeah. And something's not not right here. And so to save face, he's got to go. But it's a nice, like, little touching moment mm. that, like, Joseph sort of really does care about his family and still, like, very much misses them and mm. just almost wishes that life that he never had or never got to experience with them, even if it's just only for Benjamin. Yeah. And then you also see at the end how he says Benjamin's portions were five times as much as any of theirs. Mm. Mm. Is that favoritism again? <laughs> yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, what's interesting, there's lots of interesting things about that whole dinner scene, but the thing that would have struck the brothers most is that Joseph seats them in age order, which as this random ruler of Egypt, he should have had no knowledge about. And so this scares them. They're like, who is this man that has such a deep insight into our family to seat us in order and then even seems to know the conflict we've always had as a family in regards to Benjamin being the favorite since Mm. Joseph disappeared and then plays into that favoritism by giving him five-time portions. Mm. I just don't know how they're not putting two and two together. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I had that same thought, but they probably – also told themselves that Joseph is dead. Like they they probably believed that because they they sold him and then he was never to be seen again. And so to maybe reconcile what they did and come mm. to terms with it was just saying, well, our brother Joseph is actually is actually dead. Mm. And so you know you're going into this foreign land. Um, you're going into this this ruler's house and you you know they've already taken one brother away there's already this like mishap happening like in any sort of like when you're the like subject and going into a ruler or something like you know even just like you're like you're like the worker and you're going into your boss's office you don't want to like mess up in front of them so the last thing they're probably thinking about is joseph Hmm. and i've also just double checked the story where joseph is sold to the slavers and at no point do the brothers know that Joseph is then going to end up in Egypt because they sell him to these desert nomads effectively. So they probably think he's out in the middle of the desert as a slave or dead. Mm. And so to be in the heart of civilization in Egypt isn't probably their first assumption about where he would be. Yeah, and as like the second in command of like all of Egypt mm. too. Yeah, fair. But I had the same thought too. Like, sure, I just feel surely. like if... Benjamin's a full brother like wouldn't there be maybe some resemblance or I don't know obviously there's the twin like quite a big bit of age difference but we also don't know exactly what the dress style was like like we know the Egyptian style was cleanly shaven and so they probably the last they saw Joseph they probably expected if they would ever see him again with a big scraggly beard because that was their custom whereas now they Mm. have a very clean shaven 20 year old older looking version in who knows what sort of dress and garb and yeah even makeup or like, like we just don't know no. what the style was. We could assume just probably looking very Egyptian. Yes. When I was reading verse 32, I found it a little bit confusing. So it says they served they served him by himself and then by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. What is going on? <laughs> Fair. When I read that, I was also very, very confused. Effectively, the Egyptian custom was that you would only share a table with other Egyptians. And so in this room, you have Joseph, you've got his brothers, and you've got a bunch of Egyptians. And so there was actually three tables or three groups eating in the one room. Mm. And so what it's saying is they served the Egyptian table and served them their food. They served Joseph, who was sitting on his own table because he couldn't share a table with the Egyptians. Because he wasn't Egyptian. Because he wasn't Egyptian. And then they 
put his brothers on yet another table because Joseph had to keep this guys up of, oh, I'm not one of you. Yeah. <laughs> and so served them at their table as well. We actually see other documentation of Egyptians doing this later on in history. So, for instance, when the Greek Empire started rocking up in Egypt and trying to do trade and starting diplomacy, they found it really weird that whenever they tried to share a meal with the Egyptians, there was separate tables. Mm. And so this was a, a very common Egyptian practice. Which eyebrows should have been raised at like, hang on a second. Like, they're not eating together. We've been separated. But why is why is the head of this house now separated from the other Egyptians? I mean, you could see it as a status thing. Like, you if could, this is like the second could. most important person in the kingdom, yeah. for all they knew, Pharaoh always ate alone. And no one else was allowed on his table. That's true. You were, you know, head tables and all that. Yeah. Like not being allowed to be there or on the same status. Yeah. So I don't think we should ever... It's hard. We, yeah. we we can't under or over assume the knowledge that the characters in these stories have. Definitely. And we sit here with a, a bird's eye view of all of it, trying to figure out how much they actually know about the situation. Yeah. And again, I think the bro- all, the, all the brothers were just thinking of, I just can't mess up. I just can't mess up. I just can't mess up. Hmm. As we head into 44, we see that Joseph hatches his plan and puts a silver cup into one of the sacks of grain that he's giving to the, his brothers. My question is why? What is Joseph's plan here? Is he like plotting to see if he can trust them, to see if they've changed? Definitely. Very much so. I feel like it's just a bit of a test. Like if they notice it's in there, will they keep it or will they own up and say something to test if they've changed or if they're still not good people? Close. I think it's less to do with the theft and more to do with Benjamin. So what I think the plan is that Joseph is doing here is, yes, he definitely wants to see if his brothers have changed. But what he does is he wants to create a situation where they can profit by giving up Benjamin in the same way that they profited by giving up Joseph. Hmm. And so that is the situation he's trying to create. And by creating that situation, he wants to see, have these brothers changed? Will they happily give up my father's favorite child for their own sake? Or have they repented? Have they changed that they would no longer do something like that? Hmm. They could have easily just said, well, he could have easily just done the same, like, the same thing, put more money back into this into the sacks and then be like, oh, hang on, where'd you get that money from? But by, pacif- by specifically putting something else into Benjamin's sack, mm-hmm. it's like, well, that person's more greedy than all of you, so I'm going to take... Like either take him away or pun- like punish Benjamin more, mm. which in the, you know, like you just said, is the same situation that happened with Joseph being the youngest. Because mm. at several points in this next chapter, the steward and then Joseph will give the brothers a way out. They will, they will say, hey, we will just punish Benjamin for stealing this cup. The rest of you may go. Like that offer is presented to the brothers. And that is the entire point of this plan mm. is to see whether they would sacrifice Benjamin. And how does the plan turn out? <laughs> well, let's walk through 44 and see, shall we? <laughs> What's interesting is they leave. So they don't actually notice anything's changed up until the point they left. And I, and it's only until they've left that Joseph goes to, in my one, it says the palace manager, but this, I'm assuming in your one it's saying steward. Yes. Yep. That's why you keep on saying steward. Yeah, correct. <laughs> I'm just reading what my Bible says. Yep. No, um, like, you know, chase after him, stop them. So I wonder if Joseph's plan was to see if they notice it straight away or like continue watch, but he can't keep watching them to see what happens if they've left. So he obviously needs them to be stops so that they can, um, so the plan can come into fruition. And I like how the steward or the manager says, why have you stolen 
this magical future predicting cup. Mm. Like, I'm glad you've brought up the cup. I want to talk about the, the cup of divination. Cup of divination. Which is what the NIV calls it. Yeah, this NLT just says it's a it's a future predicting cup. <laughs> it's a very sort of like basic. <laughs> Classic NLT doing some interpretive work for us. <laughs> you see, firstly, the steward says, this is the cup my master drinks from. So if this is the cup that is often used for drinking, it'd be stupid to steal it because obviously Joseph is going to know that it's missing. Mm. It's not like stealing a picture off the wall that maybe he never looks at. Like, this is the cup he always uses for drinking. Mm. And then if this is also the cup that he uses for magical divination, then it's extra stupid to steal it because, once again, he's obviously going to notice it missing and go after it. However, there are people who don't think that's what it means by divination. Okay. And so, for instance, a very well-respected Genesis scholar, a man whose last name is Vigote, argues that this should be translated as... About this theft, he certainly would have divined. Or in other words, he would have realized. And so he argues that the translation here should be, it's not the cup used for divination. It's the cup that he would have divined or realized was missing because he uses it so often for drinking. Oh, okay. Is a a proposed different translation rather than joseph claiming magical power yeah which would which would seem if you're taking that like literal on face value would seem very out of character for joseph because he shouldn't be in the hebrew worldview yeah yeah putting the power to the cup saying well the cup's telling me what your dream meant or Mm. like you know what pharaoh's dream meant or anyone else's as we've seen so far in the story joseph has always given credit to god Mm. and so if we're literally saying well this is a future predicting cup that joseph is literally like i don't know morning coffee looks into it like like really you know really Reading tea leaves or something (laughs) like that. You know, like, oh, I can predict your future through this. Like, that would be so out of character because, again, well, God's gone out the window then. Yeah. Now, we've said that one scholar thinks that. I'm definitely not a scholar on on the same level as him. But there are other scholars who would say that this, the claim here is that it is a magic cup. However, Joseph is lying. Yes. Joseph is trying to instill fear in, in the brothers. Now, he starts that fear process by putting them in their perfect age order, which shows that he has some almost magical insight. Mm. And then he claims that he predicts the future via this cup, instilling more fear into them of, Mm. oh, this man has supernatural insight. And I think that is actually what's trying to be conveyed here is Joseph is lying to them to make them even more terrified of him. Mm. And that's what I sort of initially thought as well. I was like, well, by saying it's like this special cup, anyone could be like, oh, it's just a cup. Why is it like, you know, like, yes, it's the like it's the ruler's cup and we shouldn't, you know, but it's a special cup and he's going to be real angry if like, mm. you know, it's like that one cup he real, is really special and it's got these like mystical powers. And so I definitely think that, yeah, it's instilling this like more more fear than it were already would have instilled. Mm-hmm. It's now like like real true fear. Next of like, level fear. Almost, like, is this a sham? that knows my every move or something like that. Mm. But it's correct that you bring up it would be out of character for Joseph, who's an Israelite, because mm. we'll see later in Israelite history. Um, this is a quote from Numbers 23, 23, where it says, there is no divination within Israel because at the due time, it will simply be told to Israel from God what he is doing. Mm. Like divination is not a thing that the Jews have ever practiced because they believe in a powerful active god who would just reveal it to them directly rather than with special magical insight yeah and so the trap has been perfectly laid the cup has been discovered as stolen by benjamin the steward gives them a way out and says 
you can all go free. I'll just take Benjamin into custody. And Joseph's brothers tear their clothes in grief and return to Egypt with the steward so that they can beg at Joseph's feet for Benjamin. Because, mm, like, at this point, before they've, like, discovered what's in their sack, they're probably like, okay, good. We've gotten, we've gotten away scot-free. We can bring Benjamin back. Our father's going to be fine. Like, this is good. Mm. You know, we don't, have to, we don't have to worry anymore. Why, why did they start tearing their clothes? So tearing your clothes in the Bible is always a sign of grief and mourning. And so the brothers were so distraught that Benjamin had just been arrested because they knew that without Benjamin, Jacob was as good as dead. Like that's what Jacob said in the previous chapter. If Benjamin doesn't come back home, I might as well go down to the grave now. Mm. And so this was their worst case scenario. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also shows the change of heart and changing character that Joseph was hoping to see from them. Yes. Well, especially because they, they, they go back. They're not like, we just take take Benjamin and we'll, we'll flee. You know, this is now like th- that test is coming mm. into fruition here and they're answering those questions that Joseph sort of put, put to them in, in this test. Mm. And it's Judah who answers Joseph. Mm. In fact, Judah answers with the longest speech in Genesis. Mm. So that's verse 18 onwards? Yeah. Just a fun fact is that Judah does the most talking here in a row of any character in Genesis. But what I always I find the most interesting about this speech that he starts is he says that God has uncovered your servant's guilt. Now, they are actually innocent of taking the cup. So Judah cannot be referring to stealing the cup. Mm. I think Judah has realized the incredible similarity between this situation and the situation where him as the ringleader sold Joseph into slavery. And he's realized that God must be punishing them all now for his past sins against Joseph. And he seems almost ready to accept that punishment because while they're innocent now, they've definitely been guilty before. And I think it's through Judah's experience. Like we got that story of Judah Mm -hmm. before. And I think if we hadn't have gotten that story or that just never happened for Judah, then I don't think we would have seen this change in character for Judah here. Now sort of like realizing the gravity of the situation and that this, this must be like the work of the Lord. And like, like these are our sins being like brought forward here. You know, I I think this is really seeing that like arc and, and we need that story of, of Judah as, as, random as it kind of can be is like from first glance yeah chapter 38 felt so random Mm, just out of just like why why do we need this especially because we were so looking at joseph but we need that to see like how far judas has come Mm. he is prepared to take all of the punishment upon his own head for the crimes of benjamin Mm. so that benjamin can go free this is the same man that sold Joseph into slavery, is now prepared to lay down his life for the favoured child. Mm. And I wonder what Joseph would have felt, one, for like seeing Judah step up like this, but then, well, we actually do sort of see... I was going to say, your question is perfectly answered I by know, the it first is, verse it is. of chapter 45. It, you know, uh, 100%, but like, I also wonder what he would have felt when he heard Judah say, like... My Lord, we have our like a father who is an old man and his younger son, child of, of an like, old age. And like going on about how if Benjamin, the youngest, doesn't come back, our father will die. Like I wonder what like Joseph's thought of like, part of me thought when reading it going, Joseph would have been like, oh, hang on. Like, you know, like he probably like not wanting anything to happen to his father, 
probably would have been like, okay, so we now need to sort of think about this situation here and how we sort of play this out. Because I'm sure Joseph doesn't want anything ill to come from his father, Mm. but still wants to see this change or to see if they have changed the other brothers. But we see Joseph's emotional response to this. We see that he is so moved by Judah's speech about his pleading for Benjamin that he can no longer control himself and he cried out. Let everyone leave my presence. Everyone leaves and then turns to the brothers and he makes himself known. He says, I am Joseph. He can't keep the facade alive anymore. That would have been such a shock to them. (laughs) One of the original big twists of literature Mm. we've just read is Joseph revealing himself to his brothers. And I wonder if the brothers like believed him straight away. Well, it seems like they didn't. No, because he sort of has to say it twice. Yeah, he literally has to repeat it multiple times before they seem to start. I think it's probably more shock than disbelief. Oh, definitely. But yeah, it took takes them a while. I think I would too. Like, you you know, like, no, hang on. What, what, like, you know, like the, your mind would have just been racing blank, whatever. Like, like is this another trick by you? <laughs> Are we about to get thrown into jail? Like, or killed or whatever? Like, hmm. did you just see it in your magic cup? <laughs> yeah. I like that it says, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. Giving mm. all that credit to like his journey, yeah. almost. Yeah, yeah. It sums up the whole purpose of the Joseph story, mm. which he'll sum up again in a few chapters' time in a very similar sounding verse. Mm. Is everything God uses for good, even though you intended it for evil? Yes, like what we said last week. Even in the even what feels like the bad or mm. feels like a real down and low point in life, God will still use that for good. Yeah. I was a little bit confused about the phrase father to Pharaoh. Yeah, fair. I'm not sure why, but I just didn't see it as that kind of relationship, like described like that. Mm, Yeah. So Joseph calls himself a father to Pharaoh. Now this could just be another way of saying chief advisor. Like that could be what he's trying to say. He's he's just one of the top advisors. Mm -hmm. But many scholars date Joseph to the reign of of a pharaoh called Sesostris II, and then also to the reign of that pharaoh's son, Sesostris III. There's a high chance I butchered the name of that pharaoh. But many scholars think that the first pharaoh that we meet at the beginning of the Joseph story died within the first few years of the good years, the years of plenty, and then his young son takes the throne as the new pharaoh just as the famine hits. And that's just what happens when you try to align the list of pharaohs we have from Egyptian history and the biblical story, and that's where Joseph fits best. And so there's a chance that Joseph has actually helped raise this new pharaoh over the last few years in his first few years in office. Yeah. And if that's the case, then he's had more than just a chief advisor role. Like, mm. as the second in command of the kingdom, he's almost had a fatherly role, if this is the case. Mm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That's kind of cool. I like that, uh, you know. That sort of, I don't know, it sort of fits quite nicely, <laughs> mm. if that is the case. Yeah, which would date this interaction to around 1878 BC, if it is during the reign of Sesostris III. Mm. And it also could just mean, like, fatherly is, like, giving that advice, like, mm. that parental advice to to someone. It doesn't necessarily, like, you know, whether it was, you know, maybe a bit more like a fatherly role, as we sort of, like, potentially said, or it was just uh, as advice, like, because he is the chief advisor, mm. just giving advice like a parent would give advice. Mm. Makes sense either way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. There was one other thing in um, this part that stood out to me, and it was verse 5. That says, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. And I like that little glimpse of grace that he gives. 
like his personality like shows there, I reckon. Yeah, definitely. And what's good is if you continue reading from verse five, he explains why it's a good thing he was sold into slavery. And that's because he was able to save the land of Egypt from the great famine and then also save his own family from the coming famine. Mm. Mm. And so we know way back at the beginning of the story that Abraham was promised that through his offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. And here we start to see one outworking of that. Now, as Christians, we believe there is a far greater outworking of that in Jesus, but we do see an outworking of this promise to Abraham here in the life of Joseph, where he saves the entire nation of Egypt from starvation, and then also all the surrounding nations that can come to Egypt for food as well. Mm. I just think, yeah, he had every right to be so angry and like really lash out on them, but the way he like handled it was actually pretty decent. Yeah. Yeah, it shows he's really develops maturity. Like he's become an incredibly mature and wise leader and man. Mm. Especially when we first saw him, he was a bit sort of naive. Arrogant. Arrogant. (laughs) Now, yeah. I guess he hasn't really had a choice. Like he got given a lot of responsibility. Mm. Mm. He's also been forced to grow up quite quickly. Mm. No, I just think it's like a nice reminder to like, I don't know, you can look past what people have done to you. Obviously, like you don't forgive someone for selling you and like it's pretty crap, Mm. but- Yeah, I think he can look past things Mm. to an extent. But And one of the reasons Joseph gives to that is because he truly believes that God is the one in charge of everything. So Genesis walks this line that actually the rest of Christian scripture walks as well, which is saying that God is in total control, but humans are fully morally responsible for their actions. And so both are absolutely true. The brother's original deed of selling Joseph was evil, but Joseph rests on the idea that God is in total control. Mm. Yeah, And then Joseph tells the brothers, bring my father here. Like clearly the whole world is in famine. There's still several more years of famine to come. Come to Egypt. I will look after you all. Go get him. Mm. And this is now the start of the journey where the family is going to be reunited. Mm. Like It's been such a long time that everyone's been separated and thinking that Joseph's dead and, and all that. And now we're sort of seeing like the mending of this broken family coming coming back together. Mm. But I think Joseph is a little worried about that because as he sends his brothers back to Israel to collect his father to bring back to Egypt, he tells them, don't quarrel on the way. Now, the reason I think he says that is if they're about to go to their father and say, ah, Joseph is alive, they're going to have to explain their crime from 20 plus years ago. Which I thought about that going, why, why didn't Jacob ask or just be like, like, wait, he's alive? Hang on. But you said he was dead. Like, what happened? In the brother's defense, they could just claim they found a bloody robe. True. They never claimed to have found the body. True, that's true. But then also in the same breath, Jacob was probably so overwhelmed that he was alive. Hmm. Um, and also that Benjamin came back. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. that, that too. Um, yeah, he's about to have all of his children back. Yeah, that like, you know... Yeah, maybe the thought did occur, but like, like, oh, hang, oh, hang on, what happened? But just like, just overwhelming, like, I don't care anymore. Like, it, what matters now is that I have all my sons. But I think the reason Joseph warns them is you can imagine the brothers on the road home quarreling about the story they're going to give Jacob and how they're going to explain why Joseph is alive when initially yeah. they thought he was dead and who they were going to blame and accuse. Like you can you can picture the fight that is right there with the potential to tear apart this family mm. just before they reunited. Yeah, no, definitely. 
I just don't understand why they all went back and forwards. Like they've done so many Ks. Like just send them <laughs> and the fittest, strongest brother. The rest just hanging out, catch up. That's that's true. That is true. But also, this is a time period where a band of robbers on the road can end you, and so there's something about safety and numbers. Yeah, fair. Yeah, and also for Jacob to really believe them mm. as well, they needed all the brothers to come back. Well, bar, jo- bar Joseph safely. Mm. Um, I'm other- surprised he didn't keep Benjamin with him. Well, that would have they wouldn't have believed him. Yeah, I think I think even if they tried to explain, I think Jacob would have been like in such a state, distraught. Yeah, like even them trying to like calm him down. I don't like you know, who, like who knows whether like like how Jacob would have reacted. But mm. I think you would have needed everyone there just to convince Jacob at that point. Mm. Mine says Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. What does that mean? Why is it talking about his own hand? So this is simply a promise that Jacob is going to die in peace, surrounded by his family. So Jacob was afraid that he was going to die and most of his sons were dead before him and that he was going to die in an awful, sorrowful way. And this is God promising that you will die amongst your family in a loving environment. Because, I mean, Jacob's, what, 130 at this point? And so Jacob's probably thinking about what will be the matter of my death and God promises it will be a peaceful one. Mm. Yeah, and it's probably thinking about where he's going to die as well especially because he knows about his like he knows about his family's tomb mm. and and the sort of like the, the the final resting point is probably very important to him as well because at that age he's moving away from his land mm. like you know we're going into this unknown land going into this foreign country here with um the egyptian people so lots of thoughts you know racing at that age about like what's going to like what what what's going to happen to me and getting that sort of reassurance would be quite nice. And then I'm not going to lie, I skipped over this next bit because it looks a lot like a mini genealogy to me. <laughs> and I'm not really into that. <laughs> I know how much you hate genealogies. So every time one's coming up, I like mentally prepare myself to have this conversation with you. But when I read through this, I didn't read it as a genealogy, which could just be my bad. But I just read it as a list of the people going to Egypt with Jacob. Mm. Like, I see yes. more than five names in a in a chapter, and I'm like, it's a genealogy. <laughs> like you are right, it is in a very strict definition the genealogy of Jacob and his sons and their kids. It just didn't click with me that this is what it was because I was like, oh look, it's a list of everyone traveling with Jacob. Excellent. This is a big family that's moving. Mm. Like you know, this, seventy. Yeah, this is a lot that's like moving across to, into into Egypt. Like I just you know you just think about like the the brothers are the only people to get you mentioned. So you just like oh yeah, so the brothers go and they they pick up their dad and then they go back. It's like seventy people. Mm. It's a large tribe. Yeah, literally, this is the tribe of Israel. Mm. And that would have been so nice for Joseph to see coming towards him, like that many people. I reckon. Mm. Yeah, and a lot to catch up on too. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that it's at this part of the story that we get it. Like. I was thinking about it before going like why do, why do we get why do we get this list now but now that we've sort of talked about the tribe of Israel needs to be in Egypt I get now why this story is why this list is here because we need to know who's going to Egypt and who's going to be ending up in Egypt yeah otherwise having the Israelite people in the story of Moses getting like taken out of Egypt as we at the end of the Moses story we we don't want the 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 tribe split. Otherwise, that story doesn't 
work if that makes sense it's like not you know like releasing egypt out of slavery well it's not releasing half of egypt out of slavery if that makes sense and like like it's important that we know that everyone sort of moved with them not just a couple of people Mm, yeah what's interesting here when i first read it through is that benjamin has 10 sons did that stand out to anyone else this is like in my mind in the story of joseph Benjamin's like a 12-year-old being yeah. carted back and forth and he has yeah. 10 sons. Yeah, no, I never yeah, thought like that. Yeah, a little kid. Yeah. I actually did the maths and Benjamin at this point is probably 30 years old. No, I don't like that. <laughs> Just putting it out there. I don't like that the brothers are now all... Yeah. I mean, you could not like it, but it's the truth. No, I know. It was really wholesome before, like protecting his little brother. Like he still lives with the little brother, but I just imagine, no, because I imagine like, you know, maybe the, the other brothers, like the oldest were like in their the sort of like mid to early 20s and like Benjamin was sort of like teenage, still in the teenage years. Oh, no, no, Benjamin. I pictured like 12, maybe 12, which didn't really add up because it said 20 years earlier. But <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> Wow. Look, I understand because I was the same. Whenever I read this story, I pictured like a very young Benjamin as this thing to be protected and that's why Jacob wouldn't let him go. But yeah. he's a man of 30 with apparently 10 kids. Wow. But also when you look at Numbers 26 and 1 Chronicles 7, it shows that some of these 10 sons listed here are probably actually grandsons. Oh. And so there's been some very fast turnaround going on. <laughs> <laughs> Turn around. <laughs> Benjamin is a grandfather at 30. Yes. What? That makes it even faster. It does. Wow. Okay. Um, hmm. <laughs> well, that's burst that bubble. <laughs> that is what this show is here for, to burst some bubbles. That's true. That's very true. That 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 uh, Sunday school image of uh, young young brothers, gone. Just gone. <laughs> and that's why you're on this show, Josh, is the know, PK. Right? So we could burst the PK bubbles. <laughs> we can burst the PK bubbles. That's very funny. We then see Judah going ahead of the family. And what I think we see is, again, Judah is taking a a leadership role. Like, as I said before, after Joseph, Judah is sort of the next main character in this section. Mm. And so as his role as leader, he directs the way for the family to arrive in Egypt. It would have been such a sight to see Joseph sort of arrive before them because it says that he travels in a chariot. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, like, this family sort of moving with all their, like, I'm assuming, like, their their livestock, their family, sort of everything with them. And then this noble man, because the status of Joseph is second to the pharaoh, like, comes along and sort of, like, not flaunting his power, but can, but there's this sort of noticeable difference, mm. um, I, I think. And I don't think it's necessary sort of saying that, like, Joseph is one up even though that's sort of like confirmed in like the the dream that joseph has is that everyone will bow including jacob to Mm. to to joseph but i think it's just like sort of showing that like joseph is quite well off here and is through his journey has either acquired like sort of wealth but showing that his journey has been different to everyone else's Mm. but also a charity would just be his normal mode of transportation now as the second highest in Mm. egypt if you suddenly came by a supercar, Josh, would you rock up to the family reunion by walking? No, you just take your normal means of transportation. No, I would, 100%. No, yeah, no, this would have been normal for, for Joseph. When I read this bit, I, in my head, I was like, why didn't he just take his chariot and he go to his dad, who's probably old? Like, why did he make the whole family come? Like, why didn't he go? I know he's got, he was like ruling people and like had responsibility. Like- I think that is one of the answers, is that he has a lot of responsibility in the land of Egypt. But I think the other answer is 
he knows that there's at least five more years of famine to come. So he knows that the only way his family, including his father, can survive for the next period of time is to leave the famine-ravaged Canaan and come to where there is grain. And so, yeah, I guess maybe he could have gone to Canaan to collect his father, but ultimately the only way his family is going to survive was to come to Egypt. Yeah. And so at this point in the story, the family is united. We have a beautiful reunion of Joseph and Jacob, mm. weeping as they embrace. Yeah. And and Jacob now says to Joseph, now I'm ready to die since I've seen your face again and you are still alive. Like now Jacob is content with everything. And it's, a you know, as you said, it's such a sort of beautiful moment that this family has been reunited and they're just having this moment together. <laughs> I want to take a pause there and I think I've realised something that I was getting really confused on. Mine says Israel said to Joseph. Mm-hmm. And Jacob consistently has been referred to as Israel Yes. in mine. And I think that's why I was getting confused. I thought Israel was another character. No. So Jacob is referred to as both Jacob and Israel. Yeah. And then I thought, is that Israel the place? Like, is it representing the whole place? Like, that makes a lot of sense. So mine says, Israel said to Joseph, now let me die. Mm. Yeah, it's weird because when Jacob wrestled with God in a previous episode, we saw that God changes his name to Israel. And then the two names are used interchangeably throughout the rest of Genesis. Mm. So it's not like Abraham when the moment his name was changed from Abram to Abraham, it's always Abraham from then on. It's just, it just jumps back and forth with almost no apparent reason. No, it's sort of annoying that it keeps doing that. It's really confusing (laughs) from a newbie point of view. Mm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Why are they asking the question, what is your occupation? You've got to remember that right now, Egypt is the middle of famine and 66 new people, or 67 including Jacob, have just rocked up to Egypt looking to live there. And so I think at least part of it is like, (laughs) we're in the middle of some rough times. Who are you? What are you doing here? Which is why Joseph coaches them and says, tell the Pharaoh that you've brought along all your own flocks and herds and everything you own. In other words, he's saying, tell Pharaoh that you don't need anything except some land to live on. You have everything you need. And so Joseph is like preempting the the question of like, are you just here to take advantage of us? Mm. But Pharaoh actually shows tremendous generosity of offering them a lovely piece of land and then all the provisions they could need. And so Joseph, in a sense, underestimates Pharaoh at this point. But of course, Joseph is the right-hand man that has got Egypt through this famine or will get Egypt through this famine. And so potentially Pharaoh is prepared to do anything for the man that has helped preserve his kingdom. Mm. Mm. Definitely, his his chief advisor, as we said, potential father figure. Hmm. I wouldn't, I I wouldn't want to, you know, that person that you hold in such regard. I wouldn't want to do their family dirty. Hmm. Another reason Pharaoh may be asking is, as it says here in the text, all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Oh, you must tell him we, your servants, have raised livestock all our lives, as our ancestors have always done. When you tell him this, he will let you live here in the region of Goshen, for the Egyptians despise shepherds. Why do they despise them? This probably just reflects like a common distrust of nomadic people by people like the Egyptians who always lived in cities 
lived in very structured communities. And so I suspect it's less about the actual act of raising sheep and more about the type of people they were based on their lifestyle. Mm. Mm -hmm. They could have had a different word for those that raised livestock. And so shepherd could have been that loaded word that only Mm. really specifically meant nomadic people that had sheep or livestock of some description. Well, I mean, that's the only way nomadic people can survive, right? Mm. Is by hunting or by having large herds that they move with. Because yeah. urban dwellers will set up fields. Like they that's they'll mm. be farmers. You can't be a farmer and a nomad. No. And so Pharaoh gives them the land of Goshen, which later will bear the name the district of Ramesses, which may ring some bells. Those who have uh, studied Egypt before. Yeah, the name sounds familiar. It's one of the most famous pharaohs yeah. <laughs> of all time. And then Pharaoh also puts all of his own livestock in the hands of Joseph's family and says, well, if you're so good at this thing, look after mine as well. And so again, we see Pharaoh's generosity shining through. Mm. And then jo- Joseph brings and presents Jacob to the Pharaoh. Mm. And this was sort of like a, I don't know, sort of a, a big honorable moment to present one's father to mm. to the ruler of the land sort of you know this is the person that is the head of my household and yeah. i'm going to present him to to you and you want this interaction to go well Definitely. Um, and you know th- i think in these times this is how wars sort of start <laughs> if it doesn't go well i don't think the 70 people that jacob has is gonna be a match for egypt no i don't think so either but also potentially to your point this is why jacob rocks up and blesses pharaoh twice Mm. so the beginning of the interaction he blesses pharaoh and at the end of the interaction he blesses pharaoh and again we see that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you like this is more of that original promise to abraham coming through his family line Mm. and it's funny how pharaoh he just asks, how old are you? <laughs> you know, my brain that's like like looks at him going, my gosh, how old are you, man? Like, Well, I think we're mildly meant to get the impression that Jacob is this like, I don't want to use the word pathetic, but like really old looking person. Mm. Like he he's potentially hobbled in on his staff because yeah. his staff is mentioned a few times in these chapters about how he's clearly using that to lean on. Mm. And so Pharaoh asks him, how old are you? And he responds with, not as old as my father or grandfather lived for. My years have been short. They've been 130, which to us is like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah, short. (laughs) That's so long. But compared to how long his father and grandfather lived, that is a surprisingly short lifespan, Mm. which again, I think Morgan asked many episodes ago about the lifespans in Genesis. And by the end of Genesis, the lifespans are to a range that we would find very normal because mm. they've slowly decreased. And and as we see, the tribe of Israel is residing in Egypt. Mm. They um get given they get given the land and they set up shop there. So as we're getting into the second half of forty seven, we're seeing the famine like continue on. At this mm. point in the story, we've sort of only had the interactions between Joseph, Pharaoh, Joseph's family, and we haven't really sort of seen this famine that was predicted. And we're still going to get another five years of this famine. Yep. And in that time, every person who lived in Egypt gives all of their money to Joseph in exchange for the grain that he controls. Then they give him all of their livestock and then all of their land. And then Joseph gives them seeds and says, from now on, you'll give a fifth of all your crops to the Pharaoh forevermore, Mm. like as an ongoing always thing. Do we know if that holds, like, rings true in, in history? So one Egyptologist says that 
there is ample evidence that Pharaoh considered himself the owner of all Egyptian property whatsoever. And so this is the Bible's way of explaining why in every dynasty of Egypt from this point onwards, it was always considered that all of the land was Pharaoh's, effectively on loan to people, but owned by the Pharaoh. Mm. And it's almost like this is the explanation of why Egypt ended up that way. Mm. As for the ongoing of giving a fifth of your crops always to the Pharaoh, I'm not sure about. I didn't look into that specifically in preparation for this episode. And it must have been a real, like, harsh, real harsh famine Mm. for, like, the extent of this happening. Like, they've just given everything over just so that they can survive. Mm. And I think some modern readers read this and was like, wow, look how Joseph exploits the people here. Mm. But if you look at their response... They are overjoyed. They say, you have saved our lives. Like, I think the situation was so dire, as you've just said. Mm. And Joseph's plan has saved all of Egypt. Mm. Yeah, because I don't necessarily think this is exploitation. And I think that's because I think, you know, we come from maybe the perspective of like, well, we're for Joseph here and we've seen his deeds before and they haven't necessarily been exploitive. So Joseph's doing just the right thing and providing for all the people in a sort of maybe very fair and just way. And then we see the contrast, which is while all the people of Egypt are selling everything they have just to eat, the family of Jacob, the Israelites, flourished. (laughs) They acquired property, they were fruitful, they increased greatly in number. Mm. What if there was a certain someone that's maybe looking after them? <laughs> Give me a hint. What might his name be? Well, Joseph, but I think through, th- uh, I think Yahweh through Joseph. Yeah, 100%. And that's what we're meant to see is that God blesses his people and protects them even in this new land. Mm. Still that blessing is, you know, holding true of like, you know, he will bless his people, mm. protect his people. And then we hit verse 28 and suddenly 17 years pass. Mm. So they should be, at this point, out of the famine. Well and truly out of the famine. Mm. I think we're now just into business as usual. Life is okay. Clearly, the famine is over because mm. we've jumped 17 years within a verse. And they're still, and the tribe of Israel is still in Egypt. Mm. Like at this point, they could have left. Yeah, so you're like, yeah. Well, the famine's over. We're, you know, we're doing really well. Let's go back because we don't have to stay here. And we see the same concept of put your hand under my thigh again. We do. Josh, did you have something extra to add about this topic since last time we discussed it? I do. One of our listeners actually sent us their thoughts on it, which I do encourage everyone to, to send in because we'd love to know what you what you think about uh, these par- passages. Now, one of our listeners says that upon listening to that, that last bit... As in the time that Abraham got his servant to place his hand under his thigh. Yes. So that, many episodes ago. Many, so that the who, whoever's written it has probably made this section very pg in that it probably was actually touching their reproduction organ that um through his that um through history there's multiple um circumstances where this oath has been done by holding one's testicles and the word testicles come like that's where we get um testify testify its root word comes from testicles well there you go I'll never be able to say the word testify again. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it's it's a bit like, oh, okay. But um, testify is my favorite worship song. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> mm. And so, you know, the the authors, the, you know, the author of, of of Genesis has probably just made it a little bit nice for us to to read, and that potentially we can't say this for necessarily mm. certain, but potentially it wasn't. It was more than just under the. Th- 
under the thigh. Hmm. Which we said last time was an oath saying that if I don't fulfill this promise, may my offspring avenge me. Hmm. Now, nevertheless, this doesn't change the meaning what's hmm. whatsoever. It's just maybe giving us a bit more insight into it. And thank you, thank you for send, like you know sending that in. And we'd love to hear more like um, you know bits and pieces that either we missed or hmm. just interesting th- things that uh, have come up. So continue to send in your um, questions and comments like that. So that's just a bit, a little bit of interesting uh, more information on top. Hmm. But we should probably talk about what is being promised here. Yes. Which is that Israel, or Jacob, depending on what we call him, calls Joseph in and says, I know I'm at the end of my life. I'm almost dead. I want you to promise that you will bury me in the family tomb back in the land of Canaan. Mm. At this point, Jacob is probably too old to travel back to the land of Canaan. Hmm. And, and he knows this, but he, he wants his body to, to go back, his body to be buried back into the land that God had promised his people, uh, the land of Canaan. And this, is, this promise is leading to up to what sort of God is saying to Jacob back in when Jacob gave the, the tribute, the blessing, and then what we think is the blessing of thanksgiving back in the land of Bathsheba, where in chapter 46, verse 4, I will go with you down to Egypt, and I will bring you back again. So not alive, but the body being brought back and sort of mm. God being there with him the entire time. Yes, because every time Jacob leaves the land of Israel, he has a vision of God promising that God will remain with him wherever he goes, Mm. which is just a really nice element of Jacob's life. Yeah, and even in death, God will be there with him. Mm. Oh, I'm hoping that, you know, well, Jacob's going to be with God at that point, Mm. you know, but yes, always with him. It's also important to point out that Jacob hasn't yet died because next episode we'll read all of his final words because he has a lot to say before he dies, before he passes away. Mm. This 147-year-old man Mm -hmm. (laughs) still still has things to say. Yes. Yet another cliffhanger. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, correct. Does anyone have a footnote at the end of verse 31? Yes. (laughs) Then read it for us. I know, I'm just just talking. Finding it. Sorry. <laughs> Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Yeah. Uh, Greek version reads, and Israel bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. Compare it to Hebrew 11.21. Wait, what? What is Wait, what does your verse 31 say then? Because what your footnote says is what my normal verse says. So, no, like, so not in the footnote. Verse 31. First word says, one says for me says, swear that you will do it. Jacob insisted. So Joseph gave his oath and Jacob bowed humbly at the head of his bed. That's so interesting because mine is the exact opposite of yours, Josh. Mm, what yours f- says in the main bit, mine puts in a footnote and then yours is the opposite of, yeah, okay. Mine's in the main bit too, not the footnote. So I'm using NIV and it ends with Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Mm. But then the footnote reads, or it could be translated, Israel bowed down at the head of his bed. And the reason I wanted to bring our attention to this is because Joseph had a dream where every member of his family bowed before him. Mm -hmm. And until this point in the story, we haven't yet seen his father bow before him. Mm. And so while this is only a potential translation, there's the chance that this is the final fulfillment of Joseph's dream way, way, way back. Mm. And it's interesting that it's only after the swearing the oath Mm. that Israel, that Jacob bows down. Yeah. 
Like it's it's nowhere before. It's not like bowing down when they first meet. It's only after sort of going through this this journey and seventeen years after the arrival in Egypt that then the bowing has that like you know this mark of respect to to Joseph happens mm. in gratitude and in thanks. Mm. Maybe also because of just how frail he is now. <laughs> mm. But as that final complete full circle completion of Joseph's dream. Mm. After finishing up tonight's episode, my takeaway probably is like what I said before about, I don't know, I just got a reminder that when people do bad things to you, don't necessarily have to act back in anger to have that little bit of grace. I don't know, it was just a bit of a reminder I sat on tonight. Mm. Yeah, because I was actually going to say that exact same thing, Morgan, is of everything we've read tonight, the thing that stuck out to me the most is when you reflected on the reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers. Mm. And obviously that was the entire first half of what we talked about is Joseph using this weird and wacky plan to see if his brothers have changed and whether he even wants to reconcile with them. Mm. But just that it is totally possible they do reconcile the family's back together again. And if it's possible for Joseph, who was literally sold into slavery by his brothers, then it's definitely possible for us today in the 21st century to reconcile with people. And I think on the back of that is just seeing that the, the change in Judah. I think that's as as well as, as Joseph's recon, like reconcile, but also the change in character that we see in Judah and actually sort of not being selfish and just thinking about himself or, or anyone else, but like wanting to give up him his own self to, to save his other brothers and, and taking the charge and being that leader. Like even even if like we mess up or other people's mess up, there's there's the room for us to change and for God to change us into the people that he wants us to be. Hmm. Now, we shared a comment that one of our, our listeners sent to us, and we'd love you to send more of those comments, more of those little bits and pieces that you've found and or just questions that have come up. We'd just love you to send them in to us and send them through our social medias, or if you're on Patreon, you can send them there. We'll see, we'll see your comments there. And if you want to support us financially, head over to Patreon where you get extra content, you get early content and extra long content there. And it's just a way to financially support us there now our Q&A episode is coming up mm. so send in your questions that de- episode is dedicated to just looking at the questions that you've sent in and us going through it and trying to answer them to the best of our ability now don't forget to share this podcast around we want not only this podcast to be shared with everyone but we want the word of God to be shared Lockie can I get you to end us in prayer absolutely Lord Jesus we thank you for your word Thank you for your servant Joseph and what he went through and the way he was able to reconcile with his brothers and set that good example for us. I pray for all of us that we may be able to take something really practical away from this passage, whether it be reconciliation with someone or something else that you are convicting us of. Allow us to actually act on your word as we read it. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, Lucky and Morgan, thank you. Thank you to everyone watching and listening and we'll see everyone next week. Bye. 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 A Mustard Seed Creative Production.